from beautiful downtown Sacramento, it's time for Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket And how are you? This is Stephen Spashney, and you have just tuned in to episode four of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. Got another action-packed episode for you, so prepare yourself for a whole lot of fun. I've got an interview with Casey Bowman, he of the Corner Laughers, the Agony Ants, Preoccupied Pipers, and his brand new project, Fireproof Sam. And the network stars. And that's immediately followed by my interview with British musician Martin Gordon. Martin's best known for playing bass with Sparks on their Kimono My House album, as well as forming the bands Jet and Radio Stars. He has a brand new solo album called Thanks for All the Fish, and we are going to discuss that and a whole lot more right here on Beach Blanket Fort. Bingo! So, stick around! Was that obnoxious enough? I, I could circle back and do that again if you want me to. I keep thinking about a West Coast city The weather's warmer and the lights shine pretty Oh, 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 oh Just keep 
every time I'm gonna stake my claim. Oh. Take me long 
Kenny Rossi with Everybody's Baby that's available off the brand new Teensville Records compilation, Guys Go Pop Volume 3, 1963 to 1965. And that's one hell of a compilation. Before that, you heard brand new music from Chris Richards and The Subtractions. That was a song called The Coast is Clear. And that's off the album Peaks and Valleys on Future Man Records. And that's available now. And then we started off the set with West Coast City. Brand new music from The Wrecking Two, which is Connor Schwartz and Jared Leakites from The Lunar Laugh. And that is available digitally everywhere on May 4th. Now don't go anywhere. There's a lot more happening right here at Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. In a perfect world, Casey Bowman would be considered a legend. Unfortunately, this is not a perfect world. But fortunately, Casey Bowman is still a legend. From his solo works 20 years ago to recent recordings with Preoccupied Pipers, The Corner Laughers, Agony Ants, and at least a hundred more pseudonyms or side projects, Casey Bowman is one of the most prolific pop artists around. The only person that 
probably beats him in the amount of material released is Robert Pollard. Casey has just released a brand new album under the pseudonym Fireproof Sam and the Network Stars. The album is called Get Passive and it is available now. You can get it through Bandcamp. While you're there, check out more Casey Bowman projects like Agony Ants, Preoccupied Pipers, and a whole lot more. But right now I'm going to discuss the new album with Casey and I'd like you to eavesdrop in on the conversation. Rush of flowing water Spins me into Get Passive, the debut album from your new project, Fireproof Sam and the Network Stars, is now available. How are you feeling about the album now that it's out there in the wild? Um, I'm I'm really happy with it. It's something that came out came about just sort of in an ad hoc fashion. You know, I knew my a big milestone birthday was coming up and couldn't figure out. You know, most people have you know whether they take a road trip on a motorcycle to combat their midlife crisis. I decided that I wanted to record an album, just spend the entire day on my birthday recording an album with a friend or two. And so I thought, well, we'll do it where it's like live in the studio, one album in one day, you know, just live takes, we'll make up stuff. And it sort of went from there. And then ended up, we kept the spirit of that alive as far as just being pretty improvisational. Um, and it took maybe you know, maybe four or five more sessions over the courses of of a couple of months to finish it. But so to answer the question of how do I feel about it, I feel it's, I, I feel like it's really uh, gratifying because it's not something I spent a lot of time thinking about or dwelling on. It was it, it virtually a improvisational live album. Does this mean that you wrote these songs for this particular project? Well, I also had the benefit of there were a few fortunate circumstances where a friend, you know, another friend such as Frank Warren, who wrote about four of the songs, he happened to be in town and we just, you know, he had a back catalog of songs that either he'd recorded a long time ago or hadn't recorded yet. And we just kind of did those live in the studio with guitar and drums or guitar, bass and drums and just, you know, did one take of those and then recorded a couple of vocals on top of those. And that was done. So that was that was unforeseen to have other contributors as well. Uh, but as far as my songs go, um, I had little fragments. We some of them were totally improvisational. Some of them were just kind of on my back stack of uh, songs that I did while taking a songwriting class of, uh, in the last year. So I had those kind of ready to go. So that made it very easy just to like bust those out in one session. Like, okay, let's do these four songs that I wrote for the songwriting class and then, you know, try not to do too much with them overdub wise and just try to keep them pretty spare. And it was really gratifying as well as, you know, before if I'm working by myself in the studio, I have to laboriously overdub the drums. But in this case, the rule was I don't get to play drums and the basic track has to be live drums with at least guitar, if not guitar and bass. So once, once you've gotten that down in one take, you're, 75% 75% of the way done, so that really expedited it. And then watch what you say, listen and learn. 
Did it did it have an overall theme, um, or do you just feel it's just a great collection of songs that work really well together? Um, I didn't see any sort of interrelation between any of the songs, um, and lyrically speaking, I think my lyrics are all over the place. Anyhow, you know, it's I just try and come up with lyrics that fit the sounds that are in my head. It's almost like English is a second language or something, but so. You know, and then I'll then I'll kind of work with and see. Okay, can I make something slightly more meaningful out of it? But there's, I don't think of like from one song to the other, even like one verse to another, having a related meaning. Now, how did you come about choosing the name Fireproof Sam and the Network Stars? Well, in this case, I'd kind of been using Fireproof Sam as kind of a alter ego of my own for a few years, just like if I'm you know, doing production on someone else's recording, I'll just say, okay, yeah, well, the Fireproof Sam was the producer on this. Just kind of like, uh, I guess you would just say simply an alter ego. And when I was thinking of doing a solo out or doing this birthday project, I thought, well, you know, Fireproof Sam hasn't had his own album. And I just kind of took that and ran with it. And then it evolved into, you know, this was going to be an album that featured, you know, more than two dozen other people. And somehow I remembered the uh, Battle of the Network Stars. And I thought, well, these are my network stars I'm working with. So I've never had an and the band before. Uh, this is the perfect time because, you know, this is not really a solo album, but it is going to have me doing all of the lead vocals. So that makes it separate from Preoccupied Pipers. So this was kind of a unique circumstance where it was all a, a bunch of different people, but it's specifically songs that I'm taking the lead on. Symptoms of amateur and aged condition tell you why every smile is unseen. Set us a trap for alligators or if you let me buy crocodiles or on me. Accomplishment lead. Which artists have been huge inspirations on the way you create music? Let's see. I, I, I'm thinking of five off the top of my head. Number one is Partridge Family. Number two is Stevie Wonder. Number three is Guided by Voices. Number four is Talking Heads. And number five would be probably XTC. There always seems to be an immense joy in, in your recordings throughout the years. And it's very obvious on Get Passive. As, as well as your work with Agony Ants or Preoccupied Pipers, Corner Laughers. Uh, as the industry changes and evolves, what keeps you motivated and focused? Well, I think maybe over the years I've, I've learned to just kind of, you know, kind of tear down any sort of preconceived notions for any song that I have. Whereas, you know, now it's just like if, if we get a good take on the first take, it's good. Well, let's record a vocal and move on to the next song. So that's where the guided by voices influence comes in. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's better to move on to a new song and do something different, kind of the short attention span uh, reflection of, you know, the reflection of the short attention span that we have now as media consumers. So 
um, I would say that's that's what keeps me interested and driven is that I now know that you know if I if I do something in an afternoon and I mix it that day, I'm not going to go back and remix it. it. It's done. I move on to something else. Well, you've got a lot of talented people working on this album. Do you tend to give them uh, some sort of free creative reign, or do you just try to rein it in uh, and and keep the project focused so you can get it done quickly? Well, I think in keeping with the spirit of it being a virtually live in the studio project, you know, even though it's, you know, if there's only two people there at once, you've got to overdub things. But if I had my friend Bradley Scott of Bye Bye Blackbirds, I would say, hey, let's let's have you do another guitar part in this. And he'd say, what do you want me to play? I'd say, well, pretend you've been handed a guitar and you're live on stage and you heard this song once on the way over and you're just playing what you would play as if it was like a rock and roll Hall of Fame jam. So, And, you know, sometimes it'd be like from there, he'd do something. I'd say, yeah, do that again. So I would kind of direct it as necessary, but usually, you know, the people I work with are so great that they have, we all share a keen sense of rock and roll gratuity. So we all, we, we can also, we can all like with my friend, Jerry Sykes, after a while, if she's working on woodwind parts and jazzy piano chords, we stop even communicating and we like kind of point at each other and like, okay, that's what you want to do. We start, you know, it's, it becomes nonverbal communication. And I know. Apart from your bandmates in Agony Ants and, and Pop 4, and of course uh, Bradley, who you just mentioned a few moments ago, who else plays on the record? Well, let's see. Uh, one of the main, one of the flagship sort of uh, groupings of people is a reunion of my college band, Rhythm Akimbo. And uh, that was basically brought about by my friend Todd, who was the drummer in the band was going to be around for Thanksgiving, coming back to the Bay Area for, you know, to visit family. And he said, let's, let's record something. So we record, I, I said, yeah, that's great. Let's record a song. And then soon enough, I thought, well, we should, given the advent of being able to work remotely, um, let's have some of our old bandmates contribute stuff. And so I sent some stuff off to Brad Zell, the guitarist, and he recorded stuff. And it so happened that all of the horn players were going to be in town at the same time and said, well, let's do a horn session. So it was kind of just piling on on that one. So it, all nine members of Rhythm Akimbo, including uh, auxiliary member Frank Frank Warren, participated on that recording. So that's that's 10 right there. And then Bradley Scott of the Bye Bye Blackbirds, um, all of the Agony Ants as well, um, all the members of Pop 4. Both of those two were kind of pre-existing tracks that we did for Pop 4 and Agony Ants that we just, you know, kind of finished up, repurposed, and packaged for Fireproof Sam. And then, of course, uh, my number one uh, first mate, Ned Sykes, uh, he was very instrumental in keeping me moving on this and saying, hey, we got to, let's finish this record. Probably only need about four more songs. And so he came down probably about four times, and we just did stuff screwed around for an afternoon and an evening and you finish stuff. So, and all my preoccupied Piper's buddies are there, Jerry Sykes, Joe Hayes, 
Paul Kagiwata, Michael Ishizui. So it's basically the entire network stars of my entire musical life got together in some way or another. You know, it's almost like we had an hour-long special on PBS and just did stuff for it. Is there a track on the album that you feel distills sort of the essence of the whole project? Um, like some of the highlights, in my opinion, are like Trying to Be Both, Coat of Arms, Hide Behind My Heart. And, of course, I love the use of the uh, James Bond theme in The Fountainhead. Yeah, th- th- those, those are examples of four songs that were pre-written before, you know, just they were already kind of in my head and just it was a matter of getting them down on tape. So, and, and Hide Behind My Heart and uh, Coat of Arms were our, our classic Frank Warren songs that you know, I've, I always love recording his songs or playing his songs. So those almost became, in a way, covers. Um, and the James Bond for Fountainhead, uh, that came out of uh, the Corner Laughers were commissioned to do a James Bond theme tribute uh, uh, contribution to the James Bond themes of various power pop artists doing their interpretations. And I thought, well, you know, I don't like any of these James Bond songs that much. They don't mean anything to me. We should just write our own. So then I wrote that, and then it's, you know, we never did anything with it. And so I said, well, let's use it for Fireproof Sam. And it was my friend Ned who said, well, if it's going to be a James Bond song, it has to start with that ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba intro. So and I got myself to play baritone sax on it. So that, that really let it take its own life. Get Passive signal a new phase in your career, or can we still expect to hear more from Agony Ants, Corner Laughers, Pop 4, etc.? I should hope so. I mean, nothing ever, you can never put anything behind you. Like, we hadn't really done much in the way of Preoccupied Pipers in a few years, but we've been doing a lot recently, and I think we have plans to do an Agony Ants recording this year if we get the chance to, you know, get our schedules together. Uh, Same with Pop 4. It's, It's it's just a matter of we, we, we visit each other like phantoms in our, in our lives. Like we'll cross paths. And, you know, I've been, I've been friends with Andrea Perry and Scott McPherson and Kirk Adams for many, many years. And we've never met in person except for, you know, I met Scott McPherson last year once on a trip to the Northwest, but, um, but yeah, they'll, you know, we've talked about doing an online collaboration for years and years. And finally we did that for pop four. So it's just something, you know, we'll, we may go two years without even really talking to each other, and then suddenly we're sending tracks back and forth to each other. So I would say that Fireproof Sam is just yet another kind of weapon in my arsenal of, all right, well, maybe this, if it's, 
I, I think the fireproof Sam umbrella of things is anything I've done with another drummer could go. Anything done with another drummer that's a, a basic track that's kind of improvised in the studio, uh, it becomes that. Let's talk about duality, only because it means that much to me. Are you all about reality or more about moral ambiguity? You've got so little to say, so much more time to take. Pleasure lives inside your terror, one more piece to slay. You can be alive, you can be a spectre. What's the difference between Agony Ants and Corner Laughers? Is Agony Ants more your side of the songwriting? Uh, yeah, well, I guess, you know, before I had joined the Corner Laughers, I had just kind of befriended the members of the Corner Laughers, and we just said, hey, let's do some sort of preposterous recording project. And it kind of turned into whatever, you know, whatever lyrics Coy and I and Charlie and Carla would write online anonymously. We, you know, started a Facebook group where, you know, you put in the title of the song and then suddenly in the comments thread, it all says Agony Ants or it all, you know, we had some fake name for it, but you wouldn't know who was writing it because we were all admins of that. So it became anonymously written songs. So I was never sure, Koi, did you write? That sounds like a Koi line. So Agony Ants started out as kind of a, uh, not only a side project, but, um, you know, a, a incognito band. And then from there, I joined the Corner Laughers formal, formally. So. Now there's no real distinction other than I think the Agony Ants stuff is more my stuff and uh, Carla holds priesthood over the Corner Laughers stuff. So it's, that's that's kind of the division if there is one. Yeah. Now, judging by your prolific output, are you already halfway through recording a new Fireproof Sam album? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I mean, we've done a few more sessions and you know, just the other day I posted a new Preoccupied Pipers album just out of stuff that was laying around on my computer. Like, oh, that, that's a whole album right there. And so there's always, you know, what what you see posted on Bandcamp is always just kind of a visible portion of the iceberg kind of thing, which thanks to Koi Wynn, that may be the, the new title of the next Fireproof Sam album. Where can people find out more information on KC and your different musical projects? I would say Facebook and Bandcamp are the two landing points for anything. I guess if this were a college campus, Facebook would be the information kiosk and uh, Bandcamp would be like the moldering dingy library. Yeah, I noticed that uh, Koi put together a really good uh, selection of uh, your various uh, guises, uh, solo and preoccupied pipers and stuff. So uh, that'll be something that uh, um, I recommend all of our listeners uh, go check out, as well as the new Fireproof Sam record. I would say people should check out every damn release that you're involved with. I don't want us to be torn apart, but oh no, you can't silence me. Muted and battered.
I made a I made an iTunes playlist just trying to coalesce. You know, I finally figured out as an old man who is not technology savvy how to put phone, uh, songs on my phone and use iTunes and create playlists. And I put all of the stuff I've ever recorded that's been released onto one playlist, and it came out to be like 14 hours long. So it's like there's there's a certain tedium to that job if you want to. Uh, go endure the prospect of listening to everything. Well, Get Passive, the Fireproof Sam and the Network Stars album, is available for sale on Bandcamp, and you're actually raising money for a good cause. Um, I decided that there's two things that I hadn't yet done in my career, which is A, put out a greatest hits, and through thanks to Koi Wynn, now, yes, I've done the horrible thing of now I have a greatest hits collection, and second of all, I've never been in an all-star charity band. So I figured that that was a good opportunity is just to do something where, you know, Preoccupied Pipers is always free, but I figured, well, I'm going to sell this, but I don't want to try to make any money. How about it be a charity thing? So I'm supporting a Transitions Mental Health Association. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization that my friend Frank Warren is involved with. He does a bolathon for it. So given that that was the first charity that popped into my mind because he does the bowl-a-thon every year, I thought, well, it's either I go bowling and bowl for charity or put out an album for charity. So I've decided that any money that I get from that is going to go to that charity. You got the beach, you got the blanket, you got the fort, you got the bingo, you got the podcast, and what's not to love? Martin Gordon wormed his way into our hearts as the basis for Sparks on their Kimono My House album. Shortly after leaving Sparks, he formed a band called Jet. Not quite as successful as Sparks, but Jet eventually morphed into radio stars, and they became one of the most critically successful bands of the punk and new wave era. Martin moved to Germany 20 years ago and has remained a successful solo artist ever since. He has a brand new album called Thanks for All the Fish, and I was able to chat with Martin about that album and a whole lot more. Here are the highlights of that conversation, and we start at the beginning. Was your first high-profile gig with Sparks? Yes, it was my first um, job, actually. It was my first band. Um, so that was uh, 30 years into the last century. It was in 1973, I think, uh, I joined. They came over to England, um, put an English band together. And then we made a record in 1973, and it came out in 1974. And it was um, immediately successful astonishingly because i then assumed that that's how you did things in the music business you went in and made a very good record and everybody loved it and everybody bought it but i later discovered that that was not the case and then and then that led to jet radio stars that's right that's right through some of the people i'd met in in my uh, sparks experience i hooked up with um well jet kind of came out of people that i met through that and then jet had an album and then and it wasn't particularly successful and 
kids and we sort of turned into radio stars which was jet albeit with different trousers and that uh, also was There was also a short-lived band called the Blue Meanies. They featured a vocalist named Chris Gent, who eventually went on and worked with the records on their third album. Yeah, exactly right. He was a great singer. And he'd played um, sax and sung a bit on some of the Radio Stars uh, albums. And I enjoyed his company so much that uh, we uh, I got him on the Radio Stars tours, playing sax and singing BBs. Uh, and then when Radio Stars bit the dust, um, we did a few tunes together. But um, I think we we have one single out and then that one uh, in turn bit the dust. He was a good singer, great singer. Yeah, yeah, I thought he got a bad rap because uh, I suppose his voice, a lot of the power pop fans didn't think it fit with the records, but I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I, do, I don't quite understand that because, I mean, he, he sang a bit like Robin Zander to me and, uh, you know, how much more of a perfect fit for the records could you get, really? I read a review in Trouser Press magazine that said that that third records album was like Revolver with a crappy rock singer. And I thought, <laughs> I don't know what people expect, you know. That's kind of misunderstanding the basic concepts, I would say. The new record is um, called Thanks for All the Fish, and it's your eighth solo album. How are you feeling about the way the album turned out and the reaction to it so far? Uh, it turned out great. And, uh, I'm, well, the reaction to it so far, the people who have reacted to it so far have all um, loved it. So that's very good. There aren't very many of them. <laughs> but um, I'll take what I can get, you know. Well, I think... The album is fantastic because there's so many layers to it, um, and and I I think that's to be said of a lot of the music you've been involved with, even going back to uh, you, you know the things that you were musically in charge of, such as you know Radio Stars and stuff. I mean, for every song on a Martin Gordon album, there's three or four songs for any other band, you know, because there's so many ideas, <laughs> you know, there's so many ideas that go into it. But the I like to give value for money, you know. The lyrics on the album seem to be inspired, obviously, by newsworthy subjects such such as Brexit and uh, our illustrious president over here. But what about the music? Were, were were these musical ideas that were floating around a few years before adding lyrics, or was everything inspired by current events? 
Well, I've I've developed a system of working over the uh, over the past decades, um, which is words first um, for various reasons. Uh, it works. <clears throat> I mean, it, I didn't used to work that way. Uh, it's actually much easier and much more productive for me to work that way uh, to to put words first because you don't. It's easier to, to develop irregular structures, for example, you know, because I think the uh, the human brain has a a love of symmetry. That when it's when I'm focusing on music first, then things tend to be symmetrical, and I don't like symmetry, and so then it's putting having words first is uh, is a much more asymmetrical process. Um, so. What I what I have done over all the, all these um, all my own stuff is um, I just get a bunch of words together and then write and then I set them so to speak to music and uh, very often the 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 thing that's going on in the song dictates what the music is going to sound like if it's an angry song then it, it's probably going to need quite a lot of guitars and loud drums and most of the songs are quite angry so um hence you get quite a lot of guitars i mean it's not angry angry kind of uh, you know smirk angry yeah so it comes from the, it comes from the words and the sentiments i would say well the thanks for all the fish is essentially a protest album um are you comfortable yes, it is. are you right. comfortable with someone referring to it as such uh, yeah, completely, because it, it would mean that somebody has uh, listened to it and read the words and uh, understood exactly what it is that I'm protesting about, which is the uh, stupidity of humanity, the ever-increasing stupidity. So, yeah, in that sense, um, in, the, in that sense, it is, certainly. Yeah, I believe that uh, Devo had it right when they said devolution is real. Yes, sure. There is, we are not sustainable. Did you have to deal with a fair share of internet trolls when you released the digital single Dump the Trump? <laughs> I did. It was fantastic. The most amazingly, most amazingly lunatic people began sending me abusive messages. <laughs> Astonishing. I mean, half of them, half of them were pre-literate. So I had I had great fun with some people <laughs> who, who, who barely understood the words that they were typing in at the spittle-laden keyboards. And then uh, YouTube, YouTube paid me the enormous compliment of uh, flagging Dump the Trump as unsuitable for advertising. That's the only one which is which is not uh, uh, ad supported. <laughs> the album is is crammed with more musical ideas than, like I said, than most bands have in a career. 
as an artist, do you sometimes have to force yourself to stop mixing or adding or tweaking and just release the track? Yes, uh, and especially these days as well, when there are no there are no constraints apart from your time and sanity. I mean, you could go on. I could go on forever. And uh, I mean, in in some ways, uh, I think that the uh, the earlier the earlier business of not owning the technology and having to uh, you know having to hire studios, for example, there was a kind of benefit to it. In the way, in, in as much as you would reach an end, you would actually have to stop at some point, and that means that you would have to make decisions faster and earlier. Um, and I do find myself uh, mixing over and over and over again, and then I find that mix 64 was actually a bit less exciting than mix 47, say. And so it's only when I reach that point that I realise, okay, I've I've got it as good as I could possibly get it that it's not feasible to go any further with this because it's now getting worse but i mean it, it's actually very it's a very comp it's a difficult process to uh especially if you work on your own to to say okay enough you've got it now stop but uh, i force myself sometimes you seem still to this day four decades or four plus decades into your career you seem to avoid following any rock stereotype and you still create music that's fresh, invigorating, and exciting. Now, are you aware that what you do is unconventional compared to, let's say, the top 40 charts? Well, that's very nice of you to say so. I'm aware that um, most of the music I listen to, most contemporary music, is complete crap, and I don't think mine is. So in that sense, I am aware that there is a certain kind of difference. Um, but I, uh, I mean, I make, I make stuff that I want to listen to actually. And it, uh, maybe that's, that's the thing. I don't hear the stuff that I want to listen to in this particular genre being made by very many people. So, um, I do it myself. Things just ain't what they were. You can't tell if it's a him or a her. when you record the albums do you have certain musical ideas and you tell the musicians what to play or do you actually give them some kind of creative input into the recording process something that i've discovered probably only in, in recent solo album time is that it's much better to let experts get on with doing something great so rather than try and tell the contributing musicians exactly what they should do uh, i now paint a kind of picture and say okay this is the kind of thing that i would like if you can come up with anything better, the floor is yours. And, and so it's, it's 
on a on a musical level it's much more cooperative and maybe that is part of it i found some great players to work with which musicians do you have playing on this new album this is the same as same as most of them actually i think um ralph lehman on guitar and uh romain vassant uh on drums who's a great drummer who is actually a musician as well as being a drummer this is a an extraordinary combination of skills so he can he can read music and chords and i have uh, a bunch of uh, a cello a cellist from uh, the local berlin um, uh, orchestra daniel barenboim's staatskapelle orchestra and um some decorations so it's basically you know as you hear guitar based drums but leavened with uh, flutes and cellos and stuff I think I lost my turning in the um, press release that most of the album is an F. Why do you consider F the most boneheaded of all keys? Actually, I have to let you into a secret. Uh, it's not. I don't think there is a single song that's in F. There's one that's in, this one is, it's one that's in E flat. Uh, sorry, there's one that's in, uh, yeah, in E flat, which is, let's face it, only a tone away from F. But, uh, F has always struck me as being particularly boneheaded. Dump the Trump should have been an F, but uh, F is not a very good guitar key, you know. <laughs> it would be nice to do. It would be nice to do an album that was all in one key. I must admit. Well, I mean, isn't that most of top forty? <laughs> well, yeah, really. Yes, it is. Unfortunately, I think the whole entire chart is in uh, one key now. Oh, God, I mean, every. I mean, nobody's interested in in not sounding like everybody else, if you understand what I mean. Even the uh, the British Copyright Society, the PRS, have been um, sending out documentation telling songwriters how to be successful. What they mean by how to be successful is how to sound like everybody else who is being successful. And it's just this complete 180 degrees reversal of of, um, of invention. You know, don't do anything that doesn't sound like what everybody else is doing. I mean, it's completely bizarre. It's completely dull, and 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 it's kind of anti-arts in a way. It's a very conservative, illiberal interpretation of what art could be. Pop music is this kind of disenfranchised um, commodity sucking up. Activity has got it's got doesn't seem to have anything to do with the outside world and you know my favourite uh, hobby horse is the way that pop music has it doesn't 
say anything anymore. And once upon a time, pop music did used to say something. It used to comment, you know, uh, even if an you know ironic comment. I was never one for the uh, the overly political you know, clash style politics, but the Bonzo Dog Doodah band, for example, you know, were just as uh, politically aware as anybody else. But no, there is no, uh, there's no comparable activity anymore. It's interesting because last night on Facebook, I had posted, um, you know, the little album clip you have, like the 14 minute album clip that has like the medley of the songs. Oh, yes. Uh, I had posted that, and I had mentioned to people that I was going to interview you. And one of the people that I compared you to was uh, uh, Viv Stanchel, which is really kind of funny how uh-huh. you, why you had mentioned Bonzo Dog Band. Yeah, well, I mean, the the person who actually who probably did more in the Bonzos than uh, old Viv was Neil Linus, who was the the music guy. You know, Vivian Stanchel was the the funny frontman. But the uh, the music came from Neil Linners, who we now know, of course, through the Rattles and the rest of it. But I mean, um, I think any any comparison to the Bonzos is uh, high praise indeed. So thank you for that. <laughs> when you go back and to this day, when you listen to that Rattles, you know the the that whole first album, it it still blows me away. Just how it's um, completely amazing, and the fact that he makes no uh, uh, no money off of it. No, I know for for legal reasons, but I mean I have okay I have two things I'd, I'll throw in here very quickly. I have a a friend of mine is a uh, long-standing Beatles writer who's written oodles of books about the Beatles, and he's never come across the Ruttles. And I say to him that the Ruttles creation stands uh, as a work of art just as much as the Beatles stuff does. The only thing it's missing is context and impact. But if you listen to it musically, it's completely amazing. And the other thing is that I I introduced my son, who's now 13. Um, For some reason, he found the Ruttles before he found the Beatles. So he was a complete Ruttles fan growing up, you know, when he was five and six and seven. And then when he got to about eight or nine, he certainly he heard the Beatles, and he said, "He said to me, this is weird. These guys are they're they're ripping off the Ruttles. I've heard I've heard these things before, but the Ruttles did them." And I said, "Chester, let's now sit down, Chester." <laughs> and then he realised that this whole you know this whole Ruttles thing it was an entirely different animal to what he thought it was. But he's still to this day uh, both a Ruttles and a Beatles fanatic. Hold my hand. Let's get back to Martin. I'm sorry for for steering us off course. <laughs> um, how long have you been based in Berlin, and and do you feel that your surroundings have had an impact on your creativity? Like, for example, would you have been inspired to write this same set of songs had you lived in Hull or Manchester? Um, I think so. I I think so because I mean stupidity. Stupidity travels, you know. It doesn't matter where you are; you can still detect stupidity. 
the only the only thing that I probably wouldn't have done is that there are two songs on here which um, are co-writes with local musicians who are East German polka players and. Um, in the in the past, they've asked me to provide English lyrics for their for their bands for the various tunes for various albums, and these English lyrics are sung by somebody who doesn't sing or even understand very very basic English. So um, I have quite a lot of fun with that, and so I've reclaimed two uh, <laughs> I've reclaimed two songs from the Podcholics and stuck them on this album. So, but they are the only two things that I wouldn't have uh, come up with had I been living in in Hull or, or Wolverhampton. Yeah. How long have you been in Berlin? It's almost twenty years now, and I am in fact German. Uh, I'm I have dual nationality, um, but I was I had to become German because of uh, Brexit. Oh, that's right, good old Brexit. But yeah, I mean. I don't know. Brexit is going to have a, a big impact on, on your. Well, the biggest impact is going to be on British people, of course, because it won't be in Europe anymore. But it will have an impact on the rest of Europe as well. The world is heating up, but I'm chilling out. To be frank, I'm not sure what the fuss is all about. Well, I might be in Egypt, I'm not even cleverish, but it's goodbye. Thanks for all the fish, but it's goodbye to all this, and goodbye to all this. I say the hell's not grave, I'm not even feverish, but I'm consideration. For the gearheads, uh, you're playing your Rickenbacker 4003 on the album. Now, is this the same type of bass you used on uh, Kimono My House? And how true is the rumor that you were kicked out of Sparks over your choice of the Rickenbacker bass? Uh, it is completely true. <laughs> and this is a is, this is a 4003 because they don't make the 4001 anymore. But um, to all intents and purposes, some people would argue, but um, to all intents and purposes, it's the same thing. It's the same instrument. And yes, I remember standing, um, we were doing live rehearsals for an upcoming tour and they had and they produced, ah, this bass appeared. I mean, they, Sparks, this is. Uh, suddenly there was a Fender Precision, which had already been forced on me in the studio uh, for one song. I was uh, I was instructed to replace the Rickenbacker part, which I've recorded already with this Fender. And then bugger me, the Fender turned up again at the live rehearsals. And um, I said, you know, if you <laughs> if you really want to have a Fender bass, 
on this thing, then you better get somebody else to play it, or, or words to that effect. And so they did. Do you think it was just an excuse? Do you think they just wanted to come up with any kind of reason to get rid of Martin Gordon, the troublemaker? Well, I think so. Uh, I think so. Uh, if, you know, reading what various people have said over the years. But what was quite funny was um, when they played Kimono My House in London in its entirety, you might have expected that they would have had a Fender bass uh, player, but no, it was a Rickenbacker. Strange. <laughs> well, now, what's next for Martin Gordon? Have you have you even thought about your next recorded project yet? Not really. Uh, we're actually playing this one around, just uh, around locally. Um, so I think um, we're, I'm going to just do a few live performances and see what happens. And then, I don't know, maybe I will be driven to distraction once again and then and do another album. Where can people find out more about Martin Gordon? Well, via my website. So that's me.de. De being Deutschland. So it's martingordon.de. Well, that's it, kids. Another episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo in the Bag. I'd like to thank my special guests, Casey Bowman and Martin Gordon. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening. And please remember to subscribe and to like and to comment and to let me know how you feel about your visits here to Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. Because you know what? If you don't say anything... I don't know how you feel, and I love you. So, thank you, everybody, and I'll smell you later. <laughs>